Welcome to Love Punch, challenging entrepreneurs, artists, and thought leaders to make a lasting impact. I'm your host, Ruby Fremont, and I'm here as a catalyst for you, the new generation of thought leaders. I'm a kick-ass life coach, a bullshit detector, and courageous communicator. I'll show you how to take bold action and create massive impact through a powerful process that I call CPR. Courage, persistence, and resilience to go after what you really fucking want. It's time to unapologetically do what you're here to do and do it your way. So get ready and let's make shit happen. Hello, everyone. Today, I am going to dive into a very important discussion, one that is imperative for us to have today in this moment with all that is going on in our world. Now, Destin and I first met in person in September 2017 at Rich Litvin's Intensive in the UK. I was immediately drawn to his grounded yet powerful energy. It's one that is both welcoming and enlightening at the same time. Destin Garrick is a transformational empowerment coach and an internationally recognized leading voice in masculinity, sexuality, consciousness, and personal empowerment. Recognizing the need for new role models for men in these changing times, Destin is dedicated to redefining masculinity for the 21st century. So welcome to Love Punch, Destin. I am excited to have you with us today. I'm really excited to dive in with you, Ruby. <laughs> so why don't we dive right in? Um, <laughs> so you have your own podcast called The Evolved Masculine, Redefining Sex, Power, and Success. So I'm curious to know, what does it look like to be an evolved man in today's world? Uh, <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> First of all, I want to make clear that I consider myself ever evolving. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I when I started using the phrase of the evolved masculine, one thing I really do my best to make clear is that the evolved masculine to me is an archetype. It's a symbol. It's a an idea, or you can even think of it as like a north star to help guide your journey. Mm-hmm. I was seeking uh, role models in f- my own journey of figuring out what it means to be a man. Mm -hmm. And I had a hard time finding what it was that I was really looking for. And being in this conversation around sexuality and gender and all that for 20 years now, Mm -hmm. uh, my social media feeds are filled constantly, even before the past few months, have been filled constantly with lots of finger pointing, Mm -hmm. blaming and shaming, et cetera, between men and women. And I'm just like... We need something else here. We need, I, I think that the distinction of, of quote, toxic masculinity actually does hold a lot of value. However, if we're going to be having that conversation, we need its counterpart. Mm-hmm. We need to be uh, speaking of, well, what I came to refer to as the evolved masculine. Mm-hmm. If not that, then what? As men, we need to sit we need more than simply being told what's wrong, but also something to inspire us and something to aspire towards. 
Mm, I love that. We need to be told more than what's wrong. And, and you're so right on that. There's, there's a lot of finger pointing and not enough inspiration, not enough uh, of a vision of the role models to see what is it that we're aspiring to be then. If not this, then what? Which is super powerful. There's so much distrust between men and women today. Of course, mm -hmm. this, these are grand generalities, but then, <laughs> then I say them for a reason at the same time. There's so much distrust. And I think that uh, uh, one of the reasons why, particularly from the, the quote unquote women's side, which is problematic to look at in that way at all, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> um, that we don't see that as much is because I think that there is so much uh, distrust that there that there's so much wounding, pain, trauma, hurts. In all honesty, uh, in both men and women, um, but uh, women's voices are are, are mm, after so much silence for so long. Mm -hmm. They're roaring mm -hmm. today. <laughs> Yeah. And as men, and particularly those who strive towards the evolved masculine, I think that that's one of the biggest things that are being called forth from us right now is to simply to be able to hold space for it, to, to recognize that, yeah, after generations, if not millennia of such silencing and so much pain mm -hmm. and there being no space for that pain, so much denial of that pain and wounding there's going to be anger, there's going to mm -hmm. be rage, and it's not going to be pretty. It's going to be imperfect. It's going to be messy. And maybe that can be okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The volcano has erupted and emotions are fiery. And it's also, there, there, there's no better time than now for all of this to have happened. You know, I feel like all of this is helping evolve human consciousness. All of this is helping us move forward together versus remaining in this segregated type environment of man versus woman, of female energy versus male energy. You know, with the rise of, of the Me Too campaign, I think one of the biggest complaints I found from women is like, questioning why men haven't chosen to spoke up, speak up, you know, like, why aren't men doing anything? And then I look I'm at you, right? Yeah. And I look at you and I see you to doing that and encouraging men to do this. And, um, you know, for that, I honor you deeply as a friend and as a soul brother, but why is it important for you personally to add your voice to the Me Too campaign? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to do my best to answer that in a short form because mm -hmm. otherwise it will be the rest of our talk. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and because of my own painful journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really simplest way to put it. Um, the easiest to point to, well, two. I, one, my own broken family growing up mm -hmm. and the kind of... Uh, stereotypical what seemed to be an, an angry at least emotionally violent uh male father figure mm -hmm. um and a a weaker more submissive victim female mother mm -hmm. um playing out in the household in a constant screaming match and um just being a, a pretty miserable home environment most mm -hmm. of the time uh, but then in high school, my uh, one of my first girlfriends, uh, when I was 16, I think 16, um, uh, long story short, 
She was raped on her 15th birthday by mm. her then boyfriend. Mm. And a few months later, I ended up being the first person that she ended up telling. Mm. And at 16 years old, I was not emotionally equipped to deal with this. It it messed with me hardcore. And mm-hmm. we ended up being in a relationship for a few years, including living together. And over the course of that time, it 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 was never not there. Right. And at one point during one particularly emotionally intense time of dealing with it, I remember kind of proclaiming I, I was I didn't really have any sense of spirituality at the time. Mm-hmm. So it, it was more just out loud or to myself or what have you, that I was going to do everything I could with my life to create a world where things like this didn't happen. Right. So oh, honestly, over those next 20 years, 23 now, um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it has not been a straight line. Mm-hmm. It's been a very windy, confusing journey, especially because like so many women, so many millions of women who have experienced their their own traumas mm-hmm. up until a few months ago, um, it just seemed like I was talking to a wall or screaming into a void. There was it, the culture was in denial that we had a, an actual issue going on. Right. Yeah. And so when this moment happened, myself, like so many women in the world, I, I was thrilled and a little trepidatious, but thrilled <laughs> that, that it's like, okay, we're, there's finally some acknowledgement. Yeah. If nothing else, there's finally some acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, acknowledgement and awareness, these are things that are the first steps in, in, to creating change. You know, no more Absolutely. denial, no more dusting it under the rug, no more, you know, hiding due to feelings of shame or guilt. But like, let's bring it to the surface so we can address it as a society, as a human collective. And and even if there's no clear answers at the moment, it what a powerful time to be alive. You know, what a powerful time to be here where people are really, uh, women are finding their voices and speaking up. And, you know, whether it comes out in anger or not, it doesn't matter. I think what's important is that people are speaking up and that's sparking others to do the same. I think it's a really important step. Um, I'd like to think that where we are in it, in this moment, will shift and change as well. Mm -hmm. That um, in the, in the short term, there are certain ways in which it seems that this "quote unquote" battle of the sexes has been further inflamed. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do believe that there is a needed there there's a need for a voice in this conversation for what I call the evolved masculine. Uh, other people have different ways of describing it. Um, that I. I work with men every day who mm-hmm. are who are introspective, who are trying to figure this out, who, like me 10 years ago and still, honestly, um, trying to figure out how to be a better man. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily know how because, like me, they didn't necessarily feel like they had very good role models. You were there in the room at, at Rich right. Lipton's where, where Rich stopped me when I was on stage at some point after I said something about the lack of role 
of male role models growing up and asked the room. And of the maybe 150 people in that room, roughly half of which were male, a pretty sizable percentage of those men raised their hands to agree mm-hmm. that they that they feel like they missed out or lacked a, a strong positive male role model growing up. Yeah. It's a problem. And we, we see the effect of this problem. So we need we need this highlighted and we need this voice uh, in, in, in part so that too many men are responding to this current moment with silence, mm-hmm. with with fear, with uh, anger and resentment or with uh, shrinking back and disempowerment. This yeah. is not this is not what there's got to be a better way. Right. And, and, you know, that, that leads me to this question. Then like, why do you believe more men are not speaking up about this? Because they're afraid. Quite mm. frankly, it's because they're afraid. And there are, arguably, there are good reasons for that fear. I mean, you, we see what's gone on in, uh, in Hollywood, for, for example, uh, mm-hmm. the, so Many men within the within Hollywood who have uh, tried to speak up uh, have had their worst moments dragged into the light, mm-hmm. and then uh, like uh, Ben Affleck and the uh, seemingly on TRL like fifteen plus mm-hmm. years ago, he he like touched a woman's boob that was on with him, and something I can't remember exactly. Oh, Matt Damon said something, and Mini Driver ended up. Um, uh, really taking him to town around uh, just, I mean, an imperfection with, with the way in which he spoke spoke right. about these things. Now, there's an aspect of this is that's that's good, like great. Hold us to account, and what we need, and and arguably, I mean, the thing is, that as men collectively, we're figuring this out as well, and of course, mm-hmm. we're figuring it out through missteps, and, and I think that's important for us to be held to account, and there we also we also need a way to do it right mm-hmm. if we if we do not see a way to do it right we're just going to basically either shrink back or throw up our middle finger so what is that way? Like, what is the way to do it right? <laughs> I don't have all the answers there. I'm just going to say this to the flat out. I don't have all the answers there. Um, I, I, I consume massive amounts of content mm-hmm. on, uh, online and off around this, in part seeking little clues around this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like, I feel like we're getting closer. But at the same time, it's challenging because – uh, because there is so much of this, arguably again justifiable rage, right. uh, you have you have individuals who have been hurt, arguably many many times, as many many women have been, who are looking for where the flaw is rather than rather than what's right and where the right. effort is and where 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 the heart is coming from. Mm. And this is, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. If you are looking for proof of anything, chances are you can find it. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking for proof as to where this man is flawed and what's wrong with him and how he is proof of the problem, you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. And if you, what I, when I started this journey around working with men, 
Well, it started again because of my my own journey and my yeah. own major wounds around my own masculinity, my own distrust of other men, my own distrust of my own masculinity, and initially thinking that this is just me, this is my crap. Mm-hmm. And then when I actually got um, made significant strides on that and and uh, healed so much of my relationship to my masculinity, ended up discovering, oh crap, no, a lot of men are de- dealing with their own version of this. Right. That I, I've come to see how many men are lost and confused and how many men want to do better. They just don't know how, quite honestly. And there's so much noise. There's mm-hmm. so much noise out there that it's quite frankly confusing. So I do believe that we need a combination of holding men to account and compassion for the process and journey. Mm, so important. You know, I, I see that, you know, on the women's side, there is this desire for change. Mm-hmm. But I also do recognize that there isn't enough recognition that there are men who also desire change. Mm-hmm. And that we need to bring that to the forefront. And those men who are seeking to contribute to that change, whether it's through their own actions or through their words or whatever it is, we need to draw more attention to that. And you're right. I think that involves a certain level of compassion. But I also, you know, I empathize with the women who are feeling so much anger and it's like the volcano is erupting right now and everything is, is on the surface. And, you know, like, how do we navigate? How do we navigate through the fiery anger and into this space of mutual compassion, right? The men towards the women, the women towards the men, so that we're on this like more even feeling playing field where we can actually have open discussions, you know, versus I'm going to say this here and you might feel that there, but you may not speak up here. You know, how, how does that happen? How do we navigate this? (laughs) Again, I, 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 I don't have all the answers. I have I have put way more time and energy into this than most people over a longer period of time. So I have <laughs> thoughts, but, but I don't necessarily have all the answers. Um, what I can say is that this is, while it's a, a three months, four months now, um, there is a time and place for, for anger and rage. And arguably, this is it. This is that time. Mm-hmm. It's my hope we don't get stuck here and that we can we can that we're experience that we're experiencing a collective feminine catharsis mm. and that i like have you followed all over the past few days this whole thing with the olympics the usa olympics gymnastics uh mm-hmm. situation yeah, yeah and i i think it let's recap for our followers who haven't been following <laughs> uh, anything you can share on it because i might mess it up <laughs> no i invite you to share okay. on it because on love punch mess ups are okay wonderful so, <laughs> so um uh the sentence was just handed out today and um uh but <sighs> 150 women who uh, have been part of the USA Olympics gymnastics team ended up testifying in court, 150. Mm-hmm. And you can figure, as always, that means there are likely more who didn't. Mm-hmm. And 
and uh, seemingly this man who was in was basically sort of like a, a, a doctor physician to to these uh, to these fe- young female athletes was uh, sexually abusing them over uh, decades, mm-hmm. and uh, the. The organization, the larger Olympics organization, particularly the gymnastic, USA Gymnastics organizations, essentially protected him. That there were, over those decades, allegations, and they were just kind of quashed. Mm-hmm. And so all of that came, came up in the testimonies as well. And the um, larger organizations are experiencing a significant backlash. And like I think the entire leadership is being replaced, essentially mm-hmm. fired and replaced as a result. But... but the the man who who committed all of this had to sit there uh, across I don't know maybe a week of woman after woman after woman 150 come into the courtroom and and speak testimony about their experience of what he did to them as well as the impact that it had on her mm-hmm. uh, while he just had to sit there and listen. And take mm-hmm. it all in. And par- part of the the judge, who was a woman, was clearly extremely sympathetic to the the, the women here. Um, right. uh, said said along the lines that I I essentially signed your death sentence today. He got he got 175 years um, uh, mm-hmm. in prison, and uh, and that she was it her one of the women who gave testimony. I'm sorry, I don't remember that. Um, I hope that you spend the remaining of of your years hearing the echoes of these testimonies from these women of what you did to them. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a, this was a, cathar- a catharsis mm-hmm. because as much as it was a very real and tangible experience for these women and, and with this man, it is also some version of this experience has happened dozens, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of, of times. And we we need these collective catharsis catharsises, and you know again I I really wish that it were more more perfect. Um, I know that that there are you know this is such a complex uh, conversation. There are so many pieces to it, and I know that that there are are men who are afraid that some past mistake or mm-hmm. something that they were just completely unconscious or unaware of may cause them to lose their job tomorrow or, or right. worse, lose their, their custody of their kids or worse. And, and so there, there's a lot of fear. Mm-hmm. There is. And, you know, back in my hometown in Vancouver, when the Me Too movement first sprung up, um, there was someone in, so I used to work in the nightlife industry and there was a DJ who he actually ended up committing suicide because he knew that the woman that he had raped, um, while under the influence. So for him, it felt like a different experience for her. It felt like a different experience, but he knew she was coming out because she told him she was going to come out and he committed suicide. And then, it, you know, it just, it draws this really interesting, you know, I don't want to say it's a line, but it's almost like the shadow of like, yes, there's a lot of anger and yes, there's a lot of regret, you know? Yes, there's a lot of sadness and loss and yes, there's a lot of awareness being birthed. 
but the navigation through all of this is totally and utterly imperfect. And, you know, as a woman, I do see the fear that men are, you know, I recognize the fear that men are feeling. It's very real. You know, what if a past mistake ends up costing them their marriage? You know, it's very scary to speak up and which is why I think it's even that much important that people like you, that men like you are showing up and sharing your truth fearlessly, sharing your opinions with the world, no matter how polarizing those words may be. So I'm curious to know, like, what what has really helped you gain this this sort this fearlessness and sharing your truth in such a raw and real way? Fully loaded um. question. <laughs> Uh, practice of <laughs> um, I didn't start speaking publicly about uh, my high school girlfriend's rape experience until this past year, actually. And it was um, Rich Litvin who uh, encouraged me to do so. Mm-hmm. And the first time I, I, did the first time I gave a talk, so to speak, on it was to the four PC, the uh, kind of his mastermind of top coaches, um, mm-hmm. and you know I did it from the heart. I I had the most minimal notes, and I just kind of went for I think ten twelve minutes, and I ha- had a huge impact on people in the room, especially mm-hmm. some of the women uh, present in the room. There were tears, mm-hmm. there were all these things, and just the, the feedback and response that that I got was along the lines of, you need to keep speaking about this. And uh, I, right. I shared that I was hesitant uh, Primarily because I felt like it's not my story, you know. I mean, this is this was her experience, and you know, again, the, the response I got was, "She she had her experience, and you had your experience with, mm-hmm. and particularly that the type of experience that I had, that story isn't really out there, mm-hmm. and um, and I've been living the impact of it my whole adult life." And, you know, let me, if, if I can particularly maintain her anonymity and, um, and use this really intense life experience as a, I don't know, as a, as a means of creating positive impact, as a means to mm-hmm. further drive my own, uh, my own, I don't know, personal work, meaning the work that I do within myself a about myself and then uh, ability to inspire or help other people on their path. And I'm going to do so, you know? Mm, yeah, that is so important. And, you know, it's it. your side of the story hasn't been told, you know, and it's important for us to understand because the impact, I mean, it, it goes much further than the person that in that experienced it yeah. and, you know, and the impact course, spreads I have, further i have no idea uh i mean that was more than 20 years ago um right. i have no idea how she is speaking about her experience or not at all or i have no right. idea um we're not in communication at the moment but um you know it's uh 
yeah, I've carried. I, the thing is, it, it wasn't a soul experience, though. It's like that that experience opened something up in me, and from that point mm-hmm. on, I I just seemed to be a magnet for women to share their stories and experiences with. So over the course of my life, I can't. I've, I have no idea how many. I can't even say dozens. It could clearly post a hundred. Um, uh, women's stories I, I've heard personally and shared with me personally, uh, which is why mm-hmm. when this, you know, I, I'm blown away by how many people with this Me Too campaign and movement speak of how they're, they're shocked as to how prevalent this is. I'm like, really? God, I, mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> I find myself, honestly, I find myself shocked when I meet a woman who doesn't have any, any experience in her history. Right. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I, I think it's, you know, I, I, every woman I, I know has a Me Too story. And um, what's shocking is, you know, to me to this day is that, yes, it's taken so long for this to come to the surface. But at the same time, I feel like we've we've reached this point in the human consciousness to be able to navigate through it, even though we have yet to find the ways to navigate through it, I think we're able to, as a collective, work together to work through it, you know, and a lot of that is going to be amplified and um, assisted with more men speaking up, you know, and more men contributing their voice and having that even balance of, of compassion on both sides, you know. So to the men who are listening right now, what a tips or advice can you provide them with to help them gain more comfort in, in voicing their truth and sharing their truth? And then on the flip side, what tips or advice can you provide the women to help support this evolution in helping men find their voice? Yeah. Um, one, I, I do recognize that it's tricky, that mm-hmm. what I don't want to see happen is for men, including myself to, to take over this conversation. You know, this is this, so much of this is about women finding their voice and so much of this time period is about women finding their voice. I mean, that was so mm-hmm. much of what the, like the Aziz Ansari thing debacle uh, right. uh, really highlights to me is that here this woman quote grace um hasn't hasn't found her voice and mm-hmm. and in my own journey uh the most challenging thing that i found with uh navigating when i was a single man i'm now married and have a newborn um mm-hmm was as a man who is still so hyper aware of these, of these things, um, navigating the fact that the woman I'm engaging with might actually not be solid in her voice. That might not be, might, might still be really challenged with speaking her truth with speaking up. I mean, for so long, women's voices were just held as less important Mm. And that is changing. It's not complete. And, and so right. as men, as we are finding, as we are finding our place in this, uh, I invite you to, to remember that it's not about us dominating the conversation. 
to mm-hmm. to make sure that there's that not only is there space for her voice, but if there's any voice that needs to dominate this conversation right now, it is hers. But it doesn't mean that mm-hmm. we have to be silent. Right. Um, secondly, uh, part of it, I believe, is also about really connecting to your core as a man, your confidence, your truth, the goodness of your heart, and hopefully <laughs> you are connected to that and move and live <laughs> from that place. And, <laughs> and with that, recognize that uh, like, I'm pretty eloquent about these things at this point. I've had crazy mm. amounts of practice, and I still get pushed back. I have w- mm-hmm. women who are particularly women who are friends of friends, meaning they're not, de- they haven't been around me, um, but they're suddenly mm-hmm. like seeing my post because of somebody else's thing who lash out, who lash out at me. Mm-hmm. And can you be okay with that? Can you find yeah. the strength within you to be able to allow that, to hold space for that, to not let that knock your nervous system, knock you down, to not have you collapse in the face of that, not feel feel like you have to get defensive or hit back in, in the oh, face no. of it. And and hold her, mm-hmm. whoever she is, with with compassion, with love, while still standing in your truth. Mm, that is so, so powerful and so divinely on point. It's not easy. Because... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really not, Destin. It is not easy. What you just described so eloquently, it makes sense when we listen to it, but to put it into action is so fucking hard. And I get it because there's so many emotions at play. And when emotions come to the surface like this, they can easily cloud our ability to communicate mm-hmm. in in a way that that is um, – you know, that is filled with ease and grace versus like just projection of our emotions. But it is, I think it's very helpful for men and women to hear that, you know, and and this is really about holding space. It's about holding space for the women, but also about holding space for the men who are holding space for the women. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think this moment is really calling on on us as men to step up, to step into our own warrior essence, to recognize that, uh, I think it's Thomas Burke, who's quoted as saying, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Mm. For way too long, too many men, even now, say things along the lines of, I don't. Uh, I don't deserve this. I don't understand why you're upset with me. I. I didn't do anything. It's not like I'm going around raping anybody, or hurting anybody. I don't catcall. Right. I don't blah, blah blah. Not doing shitty things does not make you a good man. Mm. In in times where we were more village oriented, men were men held the primary responsibility of protecting the tribe. As the mm-hmm. larger, uh, generally more physically stronger individuals, we were warriors. We were to to hold space, uh, protect the tribe for for women, children, and men to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And we now live in a globally connected world. Our uh, our village is the world. We have a very clear message. Very clear message. Women don't feel safe. Women don't mm-hmm. feel safe. What are we going to do about it? 
nothing and、mm-hmm. say, "Hey, I'm not the problem," or are you going to be a stand for something?、Mm-hmm. If you're not part of the solution, you are inherently part of the problem because you're allowing the problem to persist.、Mm-hmm. Be be part of the solution. It will make you a better man.、Mm. So good, so true. So relevant, so important for people to hear today. Thank you so much for sharing that, Destin. Thank you. I'm, I, I, I've been、um, <laughs> uh, honestly, I feel like this moment, this Me Too moment, is is just further catalyzing something inside of me that is bringing out my my best. So thank you for it, seeing that, bringing me in, having this in, having this great conversation with me. For everything、mm-hmm. that you're doing for women, for men, for the world. <laughs>、mm-hmm. Thank you. So we, I mean, I could talk for <laughs> hours on this topic, especially with you.、Um, but we are at the end of this、sure. episode, sadly.、Um, and at the end of every episode, Destin, I like to offer my listeners a love punch, which, as you know, is a punchy and bold mantra that kicks people's asses into gear.、Um, so today, I'm turning the tables onto you. <laughs> What is your love punch for today's episode? Can you just briefly give me a, a, a good example, perhaps your favorite love punch? It's inspiring. Yeah. So one one is like vibrate higher.、Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Take action daily. Yeah. Hmm. <sighs> <sighs> As men, <laughs> we can do better, and we can be better.、Mm. Now is the time. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Dustin, for engaging in a powerfully real and important conversation. Please tell our listeners how they can stalk you online. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Facebook.com/slash Destin Garrick or Destin Garrick profile,、um, and、uh, the most memorable, of course, will be EvolvedMasculine.com. And for your listeners, I want to give a free gift of、uh, what I call the Evolved Masculine Blueprint. It's a ten-minute audio that just kind of gives my straight-to-the-point、uh, vision or blueprint of of how I see the evolved masculine. And then it's followed with a short writing prompt, really inviting you to get clearer on what it means to you. I believe that through crystallizing your own vision of the the man that you would like to be in the world. You will take. You will become him at a far greater rate than if you didn't have it in mind at all. So I, I challenge you, listener, particularly the men here. <laughs> if you didn't have a good role model growing up, become the role model that you wished that you had. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. EvolvedMasculine.com/blueprint. That's that one. <laughs> yes, and I will drop those links in the description for everyone.、Um, if you listening want to experience more powerful and impactful conversation with me, Destin, and other incredible thought leaders, please do join us in person at Amplified Soul Live 2018 in Los Angeles this March. The link is in the description, or you can find it on my website, RubyFreeman.com, and connect with me on. 
online at I am Ruby. Destin, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for being here. Thank you for engaging in such a raw and real conversation. I truly, truly honor you. And I know that what you delivered today is going to be so valuable to everyone listening. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. And I look forward to seeing you at Amplified Soul Live. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us on today's episode of Love Punch, where I'm challenging thought leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs like you to make a lasting impact. If you love this episode and found it impactful, please share it with a friend and don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you'd like, please drop a review on iTunes. I will be back next week with a new episode of Love Punch.